The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the any award-winning Order 66 podcast, though I never listened to it. Hi, this is Rikoshi, and I never listened to the Order 66 podcast. Except for when Sam Whitmer is on. He's kind of dreamy. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. Execute Order 66. This episode of the Order 66 podcast brought to you in part by our sponsors GoDaddy.com and Buy.com, as well as the generous contributions of Tim Charnecki, GM Geo, and Jim Gallant. This episode is for you. That said, we are back. For the Order 66 podcast this Sunday, September the 13th, 2009. And you're back for episode number... What the hell episode are we on? 78? 80. 80. 80. Wow, see, I'm forgetting all the time. The big eight zero as we roll on to 100. And all the big Most changes that will apply. when they get around 80. Yeah, that happens. That happens, yeah, you know. Old age. I mean, it's Sets like, in. Yeah, big time. Big time. So we had such a great show last week. Twas good. That, you know, we've had all this reaction. You realize the forums have not had this level of activity after a show since maybe episode 66? Uh, yeah, it was pretty amazing, I would say. Yeah, 51 different things going on in the forums about the episode, which is by far bigger than anything we've seen in a long time. And, yeah. um,. I prefer to think that it's Sam and Chuck. And so, producing on the fly here, Chris, you don't know it, but Sam and Chuck would like to come back. Oh, I, I got the email. Yes. So, <laughs> to talk about the character development, all the rest of what we didn't talk about in the last show. So, in a couple of weeks, we will make that happen. It'll be good stuff. Yeah. It's going to be fantastic, dude. Fantastic. So, so what are you guys doing? Uh, nothing, man. I'm just stoked to, you know, got, got back for a little trip out of town this weekend, and me and TG just, uh, you know, had some fun. Uh, I am GM Chris, by the way, and uh, of course you're listening to GM Dave off the top of the show, and uh, of course the the wonderful Twi'lek goodness joins us. And uh, for those who may be uh, tuning in for the first time, this is the Order 66 podcast, the the only podcast generated by loving fans devoted to Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing, and we're uh, we're damn happy to be here. Damn happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for doing the reset there, since I forgot. <laughs> Not a problem. <sighs> TG, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah? You know, I, yeah, because you introduced me, and then you didn't get to let me talk, and then you told Dave that we were happy and we had a good time. I really don't need to say anything more. I think you were able to speak for me pretty well tonight, sir. <laughs> Remember that. As we uh, disagree, yeah, just uh-huh. uh, yeah. So we'll see how it goes. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisitions. 
Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. Ah, uh, yes. All the news that's fit to print coming to you live. We had some news this week, man. Um, of course, the big talk around the network is the fact that Game On is back from the dead, right? Um, and, and boy, are they back now. Uh, they actually just released episode 28, devoted to everyone's favorite dulcet-toned cat girl, the lovely cat, who appar- <laughs> yeah. apparently rambles on about Gen Con in all its glory. Cat never rambles. How dare you? Yeah, don't you Every word she says is always purposeful and beautiful. And gold. It's gold. And I can't think of anything else. <laughs> it's, it's radio gold is what you're trying to say. Yes, yes it is. That's what she's, see, that's what she's trying to say. Now he's putting words in your mouth. Oh! <laughs> that's, and that's because the, the, the title of the show is That's What She Said. That's ah, that is that that is the title of episode twenty-eight of Game On. Fantastic, mm, indeed. So, in order to stay ahead, since RFH <laughs> used the opportunity of Game On's demise, partial demise, to move ahead in the ever-present battle of the network stars, with episode or adventure number thirty, a look at the Avenger class. So, DM Tim and the crew finish up the player's handbook number two and talk all about. The joy and the glory that is 4E D&D. 4E D&D. It's very good. I, I actually, I have, I've not had a chance to listen to it yet. Uh, I meant to download it before I left for the weekend, but I, I don't remember if it was up yet or not. But anyway, I need to listen to it, and I'll probably do that tonight. Yeah. Um, but dude, what? Did you, get, you got a new episode of the Holocron up last night, yeah? Yeah, we did. We did. We decided to do an episode of the Holocron kind of at the last minute with no real prep time and just talking about some of the videos that were out about the Old Republic video game, of course, the MMO. And awesome. uh, we decided that we know the eight classes now. That okay. through cunning intuition and use of the Force, we know that the only things we're missing on the Republic side are the Jedi and a noble class. And we don't know exactly what we're going to call it, probably a diplomat, but it will be a noble. And because Princess Leia is the only iconic character that is yet to come out as a class. And they said every iconic character would have a class. Uh, so there you go. The Sith side still has two holes. But the last timeline video talked over and over and over about the Imperial um, infiltrators or agents. Imperial agents. They're like spies. So the Imperial Spy is going to be a class. And I have finally, and they, and they also talked ad nauseum about the Mandalorians. So I believe that the final class for the Imperial side or the Sith side will be a Mandalorian. And so now we know our eight. Interesting. So we'll see. If we're right, we're right. If we're wrong, we're wrong. So there you go. Very interesting. Huh. Lastly, this week, uh, if you have not had the chance to check out uh, Brew City Gamers, uh, one of the newer additions to the D20 Radio Network, but a very established podcast, uh, they have released episode 33, Glaringly Hoodwinked, where the boys from Milwaukee talk the talk of gaming glory in the way they always do. And have you had a chance to listen to much of, uh, of Brew City yet, TG, yeah, yeah. Dave? Oh, yeah, I did. Um, 
it's it's just it's cool. It's just it's just a group of guys sitting around talking about the games they play and the new stuff coming out and the games they enjoy. And uh, I, I always I always find myself listening to it and wanting to take part in the conversation. It's uh, it's good stuff. So yeah, no, it is it is it's absolutely good. I thought because we say I never listen to the Order sixty six podcast. I thought that just meant anything. Right? No, no, no. You should, I you should listen, I listen to other stuff, just not the Order 66 podcast. Uh, well, I don't listen. I, I seriously don't listen to it. And I don't listen. I just thought it meant that I, don't, I shouldn't listen to anything. Well, we should take this opportunity to correct that mistake for the Gamer Nation members everywhere. Ah, okay. Ah. <laughs> um, by the oh. way, Minnie's Mayhem is uh, going to have an episode up today. I received Ooh, nice. note that uh, they will have an episode up tonight. So fantastic! I'm anxious to hear Brev and Tenny jaw about minis yet again. Indeed, and big news on the network. <laughs> D20 Radio is finally D20 Radio. It's a radio. <laughs> Which we are live right now, as a matter of fact. D20 Radio slash live. D20 Radio dot com slash live and this is a live stream of whatever the hell we want to play and right now there's basically fiddleback and myself are the only two that can activate the stream and so through this beta period of of the the various DJs testing out their connectivity this the stream will probably be down more than it's up and available but probably by the end of the month we we should have the stream at least 50 to 75% occupied and you can listen to your heart's content on a real-time basis. Ocupado. <clears throat> yeah. It's going to be awesome. So we've got the podcast streaming live through there right now. And you can find it at d20radio.com slash live. Yep. That's fantastic. Yep. Also, what is fantastic, this week coming out, Galaxy at War releases what, what, this this Tuesday, the 15th? I believe it does, man, in a couple of days. Oh, and you should be sure to snag it, because of course, uh, D20 Radio's own Donovan Morningfire, uh, Jonathan Stevens, uh, moderator, contributor, now developer, has his writing chops put to the test on it. We're all anxious to see that. So, guys, if you haven't reserved it yet, get to your FLGS, your friendly local gaming store, or perhaps to your mega bookstore or to your online retailer and reserve a copy and get it sent to you ASAP. Post haste. Post haste. And so, dude, okay, I know the season of conventions is kind of wrapping to a close, but it's not quite the case because we have some convention craziness and another great convention announcement coming up, and I've got some details for that, if you're willing to let me throw that down. Go for it. Um. Close to us, actually, um, here in Dallas, uh, Little Rock, Little Rock, Arkansas. The Little Rock Game Con, November 13th through the 15th, um, is at the Wyndham Hotel and Resort in like North Little Rock in Arkansas. Um, and this is a great local con, and uh, they're going to have lots of gaming going on. Uh, the big news, as far as, as, far as Star Wars good, geeky goodness, um, Peter Mayhew, of course, uh, everyone's favorite Chewbacca, uh, and his wife are going to be there. Um, and they're, they're nice folks. Um, had a chance to meet them at a con a while back. But this is going to be a great con with a lot of good gaming going on. A lot of other great, good, geeky ventures. And if you guys want to find out more, head over to www.littlerockgamecon.com. Yeah. It is There's also a gaming convention, did you know, in Addison this coming weekend here in Dallas? Really? I did not know that. Yeah. Why I, didn't I know that? I, what is it called? 
I is it boardgames.com? No, no, that's in November. No, it's something. Okay. It's it's like a FutureCon or something. It's a lot of sci-fi oh, stuff. Oh, FutureCon. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't know that. I just happened to find it while I was looking at you know cons that were upcoming. So. Yep. Well, Dave, we also got a couple of juicy bits of web goodness. Why don't you hit us uh, up? Ah, yes, the, first? the Ultimate Sith Edition of the Force Unleashed. There's a trailer that is uh, available at www.theforceunleashed.com, and. Uh, the edition is coming out November 3rd, 2009. And, uh, awesome. Yeah. And uh, so that is a good thing. You guys go check it out. It is a very good thing. Other juicy it's bits. It's just of- in time for Christmas. It is just in time for Christmas. Mm-hmm. It is on my Christmas list, even though I've already downloaded the Tatooine map. It's fantastic. Um, more juicy bits of web goodness. I'm I'm actually kind of blown away. I thought it, I I truly Gary, I love you bro. I thought it was dead. I thought you were lying to me. Lying, lying. But you sir are a liar. Um but you're not because Jedi counseling is back, ladies and germs. Our good friend Gary Sarley is back with Jedi counseling number 115 answering questions and laying smack down with some good advice on starship design and upgrade. Uh, head to www.wizards.com slash Star Wars for more. Yep. Yep. Would you like to, would you like to know more? Would you like to know more? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so that said, man, do we have some more news. This is a Holonet News Flash. I'm Luke Lowbrow. Three Ewok tourists have filed suit against the Imperial Zoo on Coruscant for being detained for over three days. Zoo personnel mistakenly thought they were part of the zoo's mammalian exhibit. Not only are the Ewoks seeking monetary damages for false imprisonment, but they are also seeking royalties for the new line of stuffed toys being sold at the zoo, which are based on their likenesses. An entire squad of Imperial Red Guards has been publicly executed for a hazing incident. The squad had been tormenting a colorblind guardsman by secretly replacing his red uniform with a forest green uniform. The Office of the Emperor has issued a statement about the executions. Emperor Palpatine does in fact approve of hazing in its many forms. However, he has an absolute zero-tolerance policy when it comes to the celebration of Life Day, and does not permit any holiday decorations in the Imperial Palace, even if they are manifested in the form of a practical joke. Today, a Mon Calamari couple filed suit against a Karelian seafood restaurant in Superior Court. The couple was asked to leave the establishment by the restaurant's manager for allegedly making other patrons feel guilty by their mere presence for consuming the fried calamari appetizers. Today's news brief was brought to you by Allwood's Geonosin Repellent. With a quick spritz of this aerosol spray, no Geonosins will hover around you while you're hiking or picnicking. This is Luke Lowbrow for the Holonet News Network. Welcome to Echo Base, little scum. We're the Empire, and we're here to help. Yes, so, hello, Echo Base, officially. Only 59 of you in there this time around. Probably because they're early on a Sunday. Yeah, and they're still reeling from last week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. By the way, uh, big props to Dan for another excellent, excellent installment of Luke Lowbrow. Ah, yes, indeed. Good stuff. I could hear TG cracking up in the other room. <laughs> it's true. I was dying <laughs> over here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was really funny. I enjoyed it. So, All right, what do we have uh, in terms of uh, postcardos? Did we, uh, did we get anything from our... Uh, 
Yeah, I, I did. I did. I, I got a I got a kind of a short uh, postcard in the week uh, this week from Commander Cody. Um, it looks like it was it was cobbled together from a, a piece of deck plating, <laughs> and uh, there's a, a hastily embossed image of a large planet surrounded by a, a haze of asteroids or or, or junk. I, I really can't tell. Uh, the, the wording on the on it reads. Um, Greetings from Raxus Prime, traitor. The Jawa clan of Utuni welcomes your credits. From across the galaxy, it's time for postcards from Commander Cody. Dear GM Dive and GM Chris, Hi, fellas. Not much to report in this week. Our last mission did not go well. In fact, our unit was one of the few survivors, and the Emperor was, to say the least, displeased. The delivery boys have been sent back into active duty, shuttling... Ah, trash. I know this kind of work needs to get done, but... Ah, never mind. We've shuttled a great deal of the more hazardous wreckage from our last mission to the Outer Rim and to the Rexus system. This tiny two-planet system is home to one of the nastiest pits of refuse in the galaxy, Rexus Prime. Literally a junk warp. I've had the displeasure of coming here once or twice before, though we never left orbit in the past. This time we've had to land to dump our waste cargo in one of the toxic sludge rivers that encircle this place. It's quite a sight. Mountains of refuse and scrap. Hulls of ships that are centuries old, old, and what's even more amazing is I'm told many actually do live here, mostly though in sealed environmental enclosures. CNR Fleet Systems actually has a processing plant here, which makes a kind of sense, I suppose. But what I didn't expect, shouldn't have been surprised, were the dozens of tribes of Jowards that got this place out. Happy as filthy rats they are, scavenging through countless wrecks of Rexus I pause to consider the ancient technology and down secrets that have been dumped here over the millennia. An experienced salvager might do well. Assuming, you know, the atmosphere doesn't fry their lungs and the toxic dirt doesn't make their feet melt. Anyway, I'll best be off, chaps. We finish this load and must report back to base to see what next menial task is in store for us. Uh, if you guys are ever in the outer rim and need to pick up a spare part, grab yourself an evac suit and hit the surface of Raxus Prime. You'll find what you need, no doubt. Later, boys. Your friend, Commander Cody. You know, he forgot long live the Empire again. Yeah, he did. Uh, uh. You know, TG, I, I need to go out to Rexus Prime. I need to get a part for my uh, T-16, uh, you know, land speeder. You think you'll find a working part? Well, one I can rebuild, maybe. It'd probably be a lot cheaper. You know, all i got to worry about is, you know, the toxic waste. Yeah. But then uh, it's going to wind up costing you just as much to buy a, an evac suit to get out there. Oh, I can just I can hold my breath. I'll be fine. <laughs> you do that. You do that. D20 docking bay, hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Yes, indeed. This episode yes, indeed. of D20 Docking Bay brought to you by our friends 
at Mr. Mongorium's Wonder Emporium. <laughs> so there. Fantastic. Indeed. All right, so questions. We've got letters. We've got lots and lots of letters. First one is from Delric. Delric! He has a question about question. Ing. Interrogation. <laughs> I was jamming my first Saga Edition camp. Hey, good job. Way to go, man. I was jamming my first Saga Edition game this week, last weekend, and the PCs interrogated a subdued NPC. I had them use the persuasion skill, and, and it beat the NPC's will defense, so I had the NPC reveal all the information he knew. This seemed too easy to me. Is there a better mechanic for this? Should I have had the PCs make a persuasion check for each question asked? Several PCs were interrogating a single NPC. That's a good question. Yeah, it is. Pretty good. That is a good question. Um, well, Delric, uh, this can be quite a conundrum. Let, let's talk about the easy way to do this uh, via the rules. Then we'll talk about some other options. Okay. Now, per the persuasion skill on page 71, you can intimidate via persuasion to get the target to, quote-unquote, reveal a piece of secret information. But it becomes, I don't know, kind of a, a futile gesture to, to keep forcing the party to make persuasion checks for every single secret fact, especially when the NPC is completely at their mercy, uh, and like it sounds like it was in this situation, and you've got m multiple party members that can aid you, you know, almost assuring your success each time. This represents the concrete fact that Usually, when faced with a daunting interrogation, the individual will crack, okay? At least when heroes interrogate them, which is, is as it should be, in my opinion. But the opportunity exists here to do something more and maybe move beyond the rules as written. To turn the interrogation into a full-fledged encounter in its own right, worthy of XP, okay? Now, though some people are not a fan of them, I think this is a great opportunity for a skill challenge. Uh, the, the primary skill would, of course, be persuasion, but secondary checks could be anything from like deception to maybe lie to the NPC, uh, endurance to, you know, to keep at the interrogation, or uh, a variety of knowledge checks, maybe to call upon the history of the individual or his organization to throw facts in his face. Even a use-the-force check to maybe sense his state of mind or his emotional you know, concerns. Um, but yeah, there's several options out there. You ran it correctly according to the rules as written, but there's plenty of options you can do to run it the way that you want to run it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Guys, what, th thoughts? I mean, what, what do you guys think about this? I, I like the skill challenge deal. Go ahead. Well, no, I like the skill challenge deal, and especially if you can, if you as the GM can make it sound cinematic and not just say, okay, roll a persuasion, now roll a deception. Now, right, roll yeah. use the force. Tell them why they are rolling it, and then tell them the additional information they are getting by doing that roll. Don't just have them do five rolls, and if they succeed all five, then all of a sudden they get all the information they need. If they fail one of the rolls, then guess what? They miss some information. It's a good idea. It is. I do. Okay, so Pac-Man, P-A-K-M-A-N, I might add. <laughs> okay, um, has a couple of uh, related questions about uh, tried and true Star Wars staples. So, let's say you've got this situation. A door with an access card reader. The reader's hooked up to a larger computer system somewhere else. It's normally used by swiping a card or in Star Wars, a code cylinder. Then the computer says, okay, he's valid, open the door. So, question number one. Can you use computer to open the door if you have computer access? Does it have to be at the door or anywhere in the computer system? Question two. 
Could you open this door with the disabled device option of the mechanic skill when physically at the door? All right. Let's thank R2 in this situation. Damn, Skippy. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Dave. Um, these are these are good questions, and let's let's start with the first one. Can you use a computer to open a door? Sure, absolutely. It's totally aligned with the rules. Uh, the hard part is going to be actually slicing into the computer in order to do this. Okay, I, I quite imagine if your if your GM is structuring the encounter properly, that such a secure door that actually requires a code cylinder or a card reader to get into is going to be part of a rather secure computer system with a high will defense and probably either an unfriendly or a hostile attitude, all making it very difficult to slice in. But once you are in, opening said door should be a, a simple matter of issuing a standard command. And as was mentioned in our forums and what Dave just alluded to, this, this should be able to be done at any access point in the computer system, assuming there's this, like a central system linking it all. And, and R, again, R2, he does this in the movies all the time. And that's, you know, does that, does that make sense, guys? Absolutely. Any, any disagreement mm-hmm. on that point? No. No. I mean, my, my only concern is be if, if it's like a standalone computer system, obviously, but that's that's right. pretty self-explanatory. Well, and are are you going to get to the part where if you screw up too bad, you get hosed? <laughs> well, that would be for the mechanics, not so much the used computer. Well, now, yeah. For the per, per, you know, I like if you're trying to slice in and you do screw up bad enough, it will like alert the system to your attempts, alert the system manager to your attempts to slice in. So yeah, that that is a concern. But I think it's an even bigger issue in mechanics because to the second part of his question. Using the disabled device option of the mechanics skill, that is clarified on page 68 of the core rulebook, you can use disabled device option of the mechanics skill to quote-unquote defeat a lock, and that this would seem to qualify for that. But like Dave said, you know, recall with disabled device also, if you fail by five or more, something bad happens, basically. And the perfect example of this for me um, in relation to like a lock on a door is Han attempted to use a mechanics check to disable the door on the base on Forest Moon of Endor, and he failed really badly by five or more. And what happened? Something bad. The outer door is closed. And uh, right, you know, very very comedic, very cool scene. You know, something like that's awesome in an encounter. Absolutely. But obviously, you would need to. My my only caveat on that is I would think you would need to be able to. Um, Ha- obviously have some type of, of lock to bust if you were going to do that. If it's like a, a stone door, you know, bolted on the other side or maybe opened by the force or something like that, you obviously yeah. couldn't do it at, at that point. I'm with you. I don't know. Pretty, pretty straightforward. T- TG, what do you think? I mean, I know, I know that you're, you're a huge fan of, of, of bringing the, the cinematic aspects from the films, especially into the, the scenes when, when you do them in encounters. I mean, how does this jive with your line of thought? I think it's perfect just as long as it's balanced with, like you were saying, if you fail, fail gloriously and cinematically. But make sure it's balanced by having the yes. ability to fail. <laughs> gloriously and cinematically fail. I like that. Yeah. Impressively <laughs> yeah. fail. All right. All right, so our last question, by email that is, is from Tempesti. <laughs> I think the E on the end is silent. I bet it is, but it's funnier when I say Tempesti. He's got a question regarding a rather odd weapon. So if I am a character using a light whip and whirlwind attack, can I use the trip action on each target I attack or only one? Good question. Now, Dave, I remember one of your early, I believe it was Kachuk picked up whirlwind attack as one of your first character feats when you were able to qualify, one of the first characters you built, and you made nasty uh, nasty work of some baddies with whirlwind attack. It was fun. Um. It's good stuff, but this but, is a good question, and there's been a, a roundabout over it on our own forums. 
Um, well, let's start by taking a look at the Light Whip. The Light Whip is found in a couple places, most famously in Threats of the Galaxy. And basically, it, it functions as a lightsaber with a reach of two squares. And it notes that you can use the trip and the pin feet with it. Great. Whirlwind Attack, page 89 of the Core Rulebook. It's a staple feat. It lets you, as a full round action, make an area attack with your melee weapon, striking every opponent in your reach. You make one attack roll, and you apply the result to every target in range. Okay. I got two answers for this. The first, per the wording of the rules as written, the raw, I, I would say no. Uh, you couldn't use trip on every single target. Whirlwind Attack is a single attack in its own right, separate from a grapple attack. Okay, that's why. Now, in my own game, if I had to make a call on the fly, <laughs> I would totally allow Trip to work with it. Why? Because it's the rule of cool. That's why. I think it is cinematically wicked to like whip a light whip around yourself and trip seven guys to the ground. I mean, that may not be sensible or logical, but I can, I can totally see it happening in a comic book panel or a fight scene in a film. Um, now, pin, I'd have a harder time with that. I really wouldn't allow that. But uh, I don't know. As, as a potentially broken house rule, I'd, I'd totally allow trip in on the fly i think that's cool it 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 sounds very cinematic to me if somebody yes. would uh creatively use that i'd probably allow it too yeah i don't know if i'd allow it as if they started making it a regular course of action probably not but you know hey i, I mean honestly dude you had whirlwind attack how often were you able to really use it terribly effectively well i used it right after i got it because you you had the encounters built in such a way that i got to take advantage of it but then you got smart <laughs> and so then I didn't get to use it very often. So it was my my early stages of developing the list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then you know all your baddies are spread around, and how often do you really find yourself, except with our bar scene that we always seem to have? That's the only time when you'd be able to be within two squares <laughs> of a bunch of people. So that's really it. Okay, explain to me how trip normally works. This is how I'm imagining from the explanation that you just gave is that if you have trip, you make an attack against a single person, and then if that attack succeeds, then you make a grapple attempt to trip them? Yeah, you, you make a grapple so attempt. So yeah. it's essentially two attacks in one? Well, the, the, grapple, the grapple check is not really an attack. You have to make a grab attack on its own. Um, it, or, or it, they, they call it kind of lump it as a grapple attack. So you make an attack roll, just like kind of a touch attack to grab them. And then if you have the trip feet, then you are immediately able to make a grapple check just as a free action. Your grapple check versus theirs, if you win, boom, you lift them off the ground, they land on their back. Okay. Um, so it's kind of like if I have, again, I can choose to either do stunning damage or lethal damage. So if I have a melee weapon, I can choose to just do a normal attack or I can choose to trip one or the other. That's, that's how I interpret it. Yeah, I, I believe I think they're two different attacks. In and okay, I, then I disagree with you and I think that rules is written. It sounds like you can use trip with whirlwind attack. I still think it's cool to, you know, it is the rule of cool as well, but I still think you can allow it. Well, my, my, I, I, I see what you're saying. My worry, though, is if you allow that just per the rules as written, you also have to allow pin because pin is in the same category as trip. And I can't picture a light whip wrapping around seven people and pinning them in place. If it's big enough, sure. <laughs> if it's a whole bunch of Jawas, why not? Boom. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Jawa pin. Oh, yeah. Fatality. 
<laughs> anyway, those are our answers, Tempest. I hope that helps somewhat. Cool. Our last question came in from Asa TJ via the Lusa line. Nice. Hey, GM Chris and GM Dave. This is Asa TJ, of course, from the forums. And I've got a question that actually came up in my Reign of Revan play-by-post game right on the D20 radio forums. So shooting into melee per raw, if you're ever shooting at a target who is engaged in melee combat with one of your allies, you take a minus five to model the fact that you're trying not to hit your ally. Now the problem that came up is if your ally is engaged in melee with a huge creature, uh, taking up nine squares on the board and much, much taller than a human, tall enough that a normal-sized person would not provide cover to this creature as per the rules, do you still need to take that minus five? Raw says yes to me. Common sense says no. And in this situation, I think I would rule on the side of common sense. The one problem seeming to be that this kind of cheapens the effectiveness of the precise shot feat. So what do you guys think? Um, I could see either side of the argument. I think I'd go with common sense, but I'd like to hear your opinion. Thanks. Bye. Good question. I like it. Um, first of all, are we, are we clear on his question? TG, are you, are you clear on the scenario? Dave, are you clear on the scenario? Yep. No. Okay. <laughs> Then let's let's try let's try a brief restatement. So you know if you don't if if uh, the, the concept that two targets are in melee together, meaning they're basically they're combatants that are next to each other. Okay. Okay. If you're trying to shoot at a a target that is in melee with someone else, melee with one of your allies, you take yeah. a minus five to that unless you have the precise shot feet. And the the explanation for that is because you 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 have to be careful. You don't want to hit your ally. Um, so he's saying, so, okay, what if little old me is in melee with a rancor, <laughs> okay, or something that is, is taking up nine squares on the battle mat, okay, something huge. Should that really matter? <laughs> does, it, does it make sense to, to apply that penalty when that tiny little person is not going to provide any, any conceivable, you know, cover or anything like that to the big creature? That's what he's basically saying. Ah. Um. Oh man, I, I've got some ideas on it, but I'm interested to hear, Dave. What are what are your thoughts on this, man? My thoughts are common sense kind of takes over at this point, and I'd allow it without the penalty. And the only reason I would do so is in obvious circumstances when I'm shooting at something that is four or five squares high or wide, then theoretically. You know, like the minis rule of thumb, right? If you're adjacent on one side and you've got two squares or three squares on another side, I don't see the harm in it. I don't think it's that broken a mechanic that you're shooting at something so big that you don't take the minus five penalty. Fair enough. Um, it's, as far as I, I kind of see it both ways too. Um, here's here's my thing. Even even per the raw, a, a small character does provide some cover to that rancor. Um, even as long as they're in front of them. But then again, it comes out of common sense. If I had to rule it on the fly, honestly, if it was a character that didn't have precise shot and it was like a good for good for the encounter, I wouldn't give him a penalty for it. But as a standard house rule in games, 
what I could see is, picture this. Um, you got the Rancor, and I'm going to fire at it, and I've got an ally that's behind it. In other words, the Rancor is in between my ally and me, um, and technically, though, they're in melee, so I, I can't even see my ally behind the Rancor. There's no way I would, I would impose the penalty for that. But if my ally was in front of the Rancor, in other words, blocking that line of fire, in essence, then I might consider the penalty. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm 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 in agreement with you. I'm, I'm more more of a common sense. This is kind of I think where where it should go. And I think the beauty of a role playing game is the fact that you have a GM that can adjudicate that on the fly. Um, right. I'm in total agreement. Hundred percent. See, I think I think it's pretty simple. If there's a, another square that isn't adjacent to your ally that you can shoot at, then you shouldn't get the bonus. Well, I mean, you should you shouldn't get the uh, the penalty. You see what I'm saying? So yeah, if the but, but, if but, the rancors four by four, you on, only two or three of the squares are actually going to be adjacent to your ally. So there's another okay. at least one square that isn't adjacent to your ally, and that's the square that you're shooting at. That, yeah, that's 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 a fair way to look at it. Okay, I see that. Now, as far as your concern, TJ, about making basically cheapening the value of precise shot. You know what? I invested in this precise shot feat, and now you're telling me it didn't matter. Okay. Uh, my response to that is, if you're fighting huge or larger creatures every single encounter, <laughs> enough to cheapen the feat, then I think your GM is doing something wrong. Right. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. I'm with you. So, excellent question, and thank you for calling that in. If you guys want to call in a question, um, you can, of course, as Dave said, do what TJ did and call the Lusa line, which is what Dave. One eight hundred. Get a life. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, area code two zero six six hundred five eight seven two or L U S A Lusa. Lusa. You guys can also email us your questions um at gmchris at d twenty radio.com, gmdave at d twenty radio.com, or tweet goodness at d twenty radio.com. And you can also post them up on the forums at d twenty radio.com slash forum. Absolutely. Chancellor, request a motion to suspend the rules. You're gonna suspend the rules? Shut up, Sergeant! Motion granted. Well, we return to our uh, occasional segment, which we've not had in some time, uh, Suspending the Rules, where we take a look at the house rules that you guys submit on our forums to spice up and liven your games, and we take a look at some of the cooler stuff. So, Dave, lay it on us, man. What are we talking about this week? It says, it says, this is one that we would call, I Feel the Hatred Swelling Within You. It comes from Fury Master. Hatred Swelling Within You. Something, something dark side. Okay. Basically, he feels the idea of the dark side tempting a player should be better represented. So he came up with a mechanic that puts that into the hands of the GM. Our favorite adjudicator. We call it dark temptation. Using dark side points to compel characters. Okay. 
This rule makes active use of dark side points, providing a mechanic for tempting characters to move further down the dark path. The compel mechanic in this case is inspired from Spirit of the Century RPG. So the GM may compel a character who has at least one dark side point to commit a dark act that will gain him an additional dark side point. A dark temptation roll is made by rolling 1d20 against the character's will defense. The target suffers a penalty to his will defense equal to the number of dark side points he currently has. If the dark temptation check beats the character's will defense, that character must temporarily give in to his fear and hatred and do something that gains him a dark side point. So the GM may direct the character's action in this case, but it would be best to let the player decide for himself what action to take. This can be anything from using a dark side power to murdering a prisoner. The character may spend a force point to negate the dark temptation. Cool. <laughs> That's uh, really well thought out. It, it is. And at TG, I know you and I are both fans of the Spirit of the Century RPG. Yeah. Um, uh, this is an interesting mechanic. Uh, to simplify it, though, uh, if I was to run it, I think it, it's the same difference mathematically. Instead of saying roll 1d20 and reduce their will defense by the number of dark side points they have, just roll a d20 and add to that the number of dark side points the character has. Right. So yeah. one, 1d20 plus the number of DSPs they have versus their normal will defense. Same thing. Um, bit easier on paper. Um, dude, I, I think this is cool. I mean, you, you need to have a good GM to pull it off. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head, uh, Fury Master, when you talk about, you know, let, let the decision try to go to the PCs. But if your players are willing, what a fun way to represent temptation of the dark side. And as a GM, if, if you can, like, identify those moments of truth with your characters, those moments where they're, they're faced with a difficult, dark decision, and if they're already headed down that dark path, then, man, I, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Imagine the, the, the GM saying, you're the tempted by the dark side. Dude, that's awesome. It's totally great. The one change I would make, though, is to add the caveat that if you have a dark side score of zero, the GM cannot do this. Because I don't think there's any cause to to tempt a character to the dark side if they're not already starting down the dark side. I think it said that somewhere. Did yeah, I miss the, it? The GM may compel a character who has at least one at dark least, side ah, point. Yeah. I did miss it. See, yeah. look at that. This is a well-thought-out rule, man. Ah. Okay, what, what do you guys think? I am 100%. I'm going to use it in my games. Dude, I, I think this is a great rule. I think this is now in yeah. the core rulebook. Yeah. It's a GM feat. Definitely be something I'd love to be a part of. Yeah, or I run. Think, yeah, I, or, I think this is this is really really cool. Here's how the uh, way, here's the way I would run it though. Mm. I would run it along the lines of having a Sith, somebody from the dark side as an NPC, actually trying to compel a dark act. You know. As you've beaten down somebody, oh, kill him! Or I don't know how you would even work it at, into the into the. Uh, well, mean, you could have a moment where he, this person, is alone with a prisoner that they have been asked to go and capture and bring back to their employee for questioning, and because he's alone with them, this prisoner can start talking smack to him, and then that's when the GM comes in and says. He's starting to make you really, really oh, angry there you with go. everything he's saying. There you he's go. talking bad about your mama. Oh. <laughs> your ma- my mama. He's talking bad about my mama. He's talking bad about my mama. 
<laughs> I, I see this scenario playing out. If you recall the, the great story from our last episode when Sam uh, was talking about his character that made that really basically went off on his own and shot the prisoner in the head. Mm-hmm. That, would be, that would be the perfect example of losing the temptation role, basically. And, um, oh, man, I, I, think, I think the possibilities are, are great. Yeah. Good rule, Fury Master. Fury Master uh, one, is my hero. The one thing that I, that I have a hard time with is it, it would suck being that player that's being forced to do something. Now, you can give up a force point to do it, but I could almost see somebody getting a tad bit pissy about it. If they were being forced to do something that gets them another dark side point that makes it even harder for them to resist the next time it comes up, if there was some benefit to them to do it in order to make that decision much more difficult to make. Because right now, with the way it's set up, you make the decision and it's it's oh, a bad decision. I could see it. Yeah, it's a bad decision, but because you're so... Because you get a rush of adrenaline and you have a plus one to all attack rolls for the rest of the encounter. Or, you know, the rest of the day yeah. or something, you know? Yeah, Because you're, you're filled with the something motivation small, of the dark side. But... And I know that the, the Sith Lord Prestige class has this basic ability called Dunmok, which they get, I think, at first level. Um, which is, is doing that. It's kind of tempting someone to give them an extra dark side point. I think this is a marvelous way to, to represent that from every angle. And I think I think it's cool, but you bring up a good point, TG. I think you should definitely have the buy-in of every single player. Yeah, before you do it, wholeheartedly, yeah, wholeheartedly before you ever attempted this in your game. Yeah, so. and you can use a force point to negate it. Yeah, same thing as using a force point to atone after the fact. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Yep. Awesome. All right, so we're going to stop down for fragments from the rim. Alex and Trevor will expound on their wisdom for us in uh, number twenty-eight. Fragments in the Room 28. And we'll see you guys in just a few minutes. Welcome, Jedi Masters, to Fragments from the Rim. How may we be of service to you today? Hi, this is Alex. And Trevor. This is segment number 28 of Fragments from the Rim. For this segment, I've chosen to talk about another talent, which can be chosen by Jedi Masters, Forest Disciples, and Sith Lords, this one you will find on your Clone Wars campaign guide, page 56, under the Believers, or the Believer Disciple talent tree. Believer Intuition. As a reaction, when an opponent successfully attacks you, make a use the force check and compare the result to your opponent's attack roll. If the check equals or exceeds the result of the attack roll, you can add your Charisma modifier to your Reflex Defense. If you have a character with a rather high Charisma modifier, this is a nice talent to have, especially because it doesn't require you to spend any actions, doesn't require you to spend force points. It just happens. There are no negative modifiers uh, that follow you later on in the round. It simply means that your reflex defense is that much harder to hit. And if you're a Jedi anyways, or a Sith Lord, or a Force Disciple, you probably have some kind of decent charisma modifier. Not a bad little talent. Over to you, Trevor. Today, I'm going to talk about the Mystic Mastery talent from the Mystic Talent Tree on page 18 of the Jedi Academy Training Manual. Whenever you gain a level, you also gain a number of additional force points equal to the number of force talents you possess, to a maximum of plus six. 
Now, this, for me, is a really, really neat talent because I uh, am playing a Force Adept in our current Saga Edition game. And one of the requirements to become a Force Adept is to have three Force Talents. So now I'm looking at taking this as my fourth Force Talent, and that would mean that I would get four extra Force Points at every level. That is huge, especially considering I've coupled that with the feat that uh, whenever I use Second Wind, I get to roll a number of D6 equal to the number of Force Points in my pool in order to get hit points back. So those things are just a great little synergy, and when I saw this, in this book, uh, when I started reading it, it was like, that is next on my list to take, because that is really nice, especially for anybody who wants extra force powers, because you take this at any point, you automatically get plus one, and anything beyond that just, just adds to it, so it's really nice. Anyways, if you have any questions or comments, please uh, send Alex or I an email at order66 underscore fragments at rogers.com, and until next time, have fun gaming. Thank you, Masters, for visiting Fragments from the Rim. Beautiful. Very nice, as always. Thank you, Alex and Trevor. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, you're a liar. Ah, yes, the meat is here. You, sir, are a liar. Uh, <laughs> this week, uh, guys, the gals, the, the crunch is back. Uh, we, we, uh, we, we've missed it. Uh, <laughs> it's been rather fluffy for a while. So we thought we'd get back to basics and mosey along through our prestige class discussion with um, what is, is, is frankly, uh, an often overlooked and, and misunderstood prestige class. Uh, a prestige class that doesn't get the love it deserves quite frankly. We're going to talk about a prestige class that's one of the nice guys. A guy who loves you and who you'll learn to love too. A prestige You're class who not. cares about you deeply, who respects you, and who will pay back that 50 credits next week. Uh, like, I, like, I promise. Um, I'm talking, of course, about the charlatan. Uh, the charlatan is a con man, plain and simple. A liar, a swindler, a cheat, a bastard. And, and I, I love this prestige class, and you will too. Um, as we'll see, the charlatan can be a very fun prestige class, which gives you the mechanical benefit of simply being a total bastard uh, <laughs> in, in, in creative and very interesting ways. Um, a charlatan can be a marvelous buff bot, and a properly built charlatan will have his party loving him as soon as he pays back those, those credits that he owes them. Um, at, at the least, though, the charlatan is, is also very good at saving his own skin, and we're going to examine how this prestige class can be maximized to do what it does best. So lend me your, uh, your scum and villainy books, Gamer Nation, or, or at least just pages 30 through 32. Um, I'll get them back to you next week, I, I promise. And let's take a look at the charlatan. All right, well, let's start casing for our mark here and start our prestige class discussions as we usually do talking about the basics of the prestige class and and the prerequisites um they they aren't too tough but but honestly they they aren't too diverse either let me guess um, let me guess let me guess oh please guess you gotta be seventh level <laughs> <laughs> wahoo I'm so smart i see i am learning i am learning this system i mean you nobody can are. say that i'm not wow. you are 
pretty soon you're going to be your your saga your saga foo is fantastic, master. Yeah. Um, it, it's incredible. So yes, yes, minimum level seven. You got to have some trained skills too, Dave. For a charlatan, what do you think would be uh, uh, some some excellent trained skills that you would need to be trained in for this prestige class? Oh gosh, let me think. Use the force. No, no, oh, no, 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 no. Jedi's aren't going to be doing that. Uh, deception no. and persuasion. How about deception and persuasion? And I, I some think that's good makes noble sense. or scoundrel talents. Yes, yes, pretty much. Um, as, as you say, only noble and scoundrel have those skills on their class lists. So that's kind of where you go. Um, and, and talents. Uh, you need to have one talent uh, from either the Disgrace talent tree, <laughs> which is a new talent tree on page 14 of Scum and Villainy. It is a noble talent uh, tree. Or from the influence and lineage talent trees. Now, each of these talent trees is a noble talent tree. And that's what's kind of odd. The bottom line here, guys, is that while this might seem like a sure fit for a scoundrel, and, and it, it can be, the designers felt this class was an extension of the noble, which oh. I find wonderful. Um, you're going to need at least one level of noble for the requisite talent, and, and if it's your first level, you can easily train in the needed skills. Um, as for what to do with your other six prerequisite levels, uh, we'll 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 get we'll get there. <laughs> um, so okay, let, let's let's talk about the basics, guys. Um, Dave, Dave, hit us up with the with the three three with the three basics of this prestige class in terms of your your base stats. All right, base stats. What you're looking at is you've got a D8 hit die, which isn't just fantastic, but you know it's probably better than noble. And oh. uh, you have a um, you have a bad base attack bonus. Yeah. You know, duh. You know, I mean that's. Extension of the noble or the scoundrel, for that matter, and um, you know we'll come to uh, we'll come to know why that's not such a terrible thing. But um, and your defense bonus, it makes sense because it's a plus four to will and a plus two to reflex. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, in keeping with the you know. Yeah, Pr- pretty basic. There's nothing out of the out of the ordinary there. It's kind of what you would expect for an extension of a noble or a scoundrel class, especially one that right. focuses on social skills. Um, okay, so, so moving on past that to the, the even level goodness of this class. So like, like most prestige classes, you don't receive feats during even levels. Instead, you receive some kind of class-based uber ability, and the charlatan is no exception. You get a couple even level abilities. TG, why don't you tell us about score? Okay, well, score, well, obviously it starts at second level. You gain a basic ability to score a victim. And, okay, yeah, that sounds really redundant there. But what this means, uh, <laughs> you take a full round to observe a single target. You may re-roll all your deception checks against that target before the encounter is over, taking the better result. Not the second result, but the better result. I mean, crap. holy freaking crap. Yeah. Deception is your bread and butter. So... Um, this makes you pretty much a deception god. Um, <laughs> deception god. <laughs> um, so you can just see the con man observing mannerisms and personal quirks, you know, and then being able to help that op- use that observation to help him uh, decipher what okay. the mark is doing. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you be able to use this as on a gamble check? Well, no. Because, well, if you're if you're cheating, yes. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> if you're if you're cheating against an opponent, yes, absolutely. 
I think I, I like the role playing of this. I, th- I think this is absolutely great. Just taking the time to pause and 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 observe your your target and and just figure out their mannerisms. I dude, I think that's awesome. It even adds to it because if you're fighting with a whole bunch of other people, they'll probably get pissed at you that you're sitting around the first couple of rounds of fight and not doing anything, but standing there with your hand on your chin, going, "Hmm, ha, huh, I wonder." <laughs> I like it. I like it. And like the con it. man wouldn't care. He'd be like, well, whatever. I'm going to sit here in hall while y'all try to shoot people. <laughs> now, the the second even level ability is Swindle. And uh, it's kind of odd. You get this this even level ability at second level, and then a different one at fourth level, and then at sixth level and eighth level and tenth level, that 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 second even level ability just gets better. Um, so this at fourth level, you get this ability called Swindle which I love. Um, it's chock full of role-playing goodness. And, and basically, what it does for you, you can now pickpocket using deception instead of self. And However, it, they say this very clearly. Instead of sneaking something away from someone, you actually talk the target out of whatever it is. You, you convince them to give you the object you're trying to pickpocket of their own free will. <laughs> now, this is not deception versus will defense. Mechanically, this just allows you to replace deception in, in place of stealth for the, per the pickpocket action so per the rules if you if you um you know obviously it's it's deception versus perception which is you know not as great as deception versus will but still still and if you make the person you're trying to pickpocket your score beforehand you can re-roll your deception checks and take the better result i i think this is just hilarious role playing i, I love to see a character just walk up you know hi and <laughs> And and talk, you know, an imperial guard out of the code cylinder to get into uh, a shell block or something like that. I don't know. I think I think it, this is really cool. Yes, I think it's really cool. I think it makes a noble's persuasion checks completely obsolete, though. Like well, a noble um, would no longer be useful. Well, it, I, it, I, for that. I I disagree. I disagree because I think I think there's more than one way to skin a cat, and and that that's the bottom line. Okay, for example, um, a persuasion check. Uh, it, okay. A persuasion check, I'm not going to be able to walk up to a stormtrooper and persuade them to give me their code cylinder. There is no amount of attitude persuasion, no matter how helpful they are to me, they're not going to do something that blatantly stupid. It's not going to happen. But tricking them out of it, lying to them, that is a different story. I mean, stormtroopers can't be bribed, they can't be blackmailed, they can't be seduced. I can't see a persuasion check working in a scenario like that, whereas a deception check might. But it's just, you know, it, it's the character you want to play. If I'm playing a character that doesn't want to persuade, if I play a character that wants to lie instead, I don't know, it's, it's just a different character option. Does that, I mean, does that make sense? Or Yeah, but it just seems like the mechanic of it is so much easier than the persuasion mechanic is. That's, that's how I mean that it makes it obsolete. I know you can, you can make it, you can add cinematic description to it to either one to make them still both viable or or interesting and make one important in one situation one important in the other but ultimately this makes it so freaking easy to instead of just trying to persuade someone to do something for you or to help you just deceive them well, once once and even that just, just this is just to like to perform the pickpocket skill. I mean, maybe they have it, maybe they don't. I you know, but I I, I kind of see what you're saying. But Dave, you were going to say something. What, I mean, what what are your thoughts on it? Oh no, that's what I was going to say. I was like, this really is kind of a pickpocket deal. But you know, I I don't see that it dissuades my noble. You know, it it doesn't diminish the weight of my noble because 
the persuasion skill a lot of times is getting people out of the fight or intimidation absolutely. yeah you know and that that sort of thing so i don't have i don't have as big a problem with it but you know then again it is i mean it's you're going to be ninth level before you get to even take this. Got a point. I mean, eleventh. Uh, sorry, eleventh level before you get to take this. So, yeah, it's pretty far down. I don't know that I'd go down this path just to get these two talents. To tell you the truth. Yeah, I, I, it, it's a nice bonus. I don't think it's worthy of the entire prestige classes. But you bring up a good point because what is worthy of the prestige class is, of course, the the true greatness it has. Um, which is are the talents associated with it. So let's let's kind of maneuver into that area and and set up for the swindle, and let's take a look at what makes the charlatan truly unique. Um, so the charlatan has access to several talent trees. Um, they have access to the noble's disgrace talent tree, which is in scum and villainy. They have access to the scoundrel's fortune talent tree, and an all new trickery talent tree, which is unique to the charlatan. So let's talk about the trickery talent tree because this is really where where the differences come in. This talent tree, I, I like it a lot. It, it epitomizes what the charlatan is all about. Misdirection, confusion, and, and simply just being a bastard. <laughs> um, twisting the mind of a mark to aid you and to aid your allies, or using your allies to take the blame, <laughs> are, are what this talent tree is about. So, um, Dave, why don't you hit us up with the, the first talent in, in this tree, and let's, let's talk about it. All right, so cunning distraction is uh, when you successfully faint a foe in combat you can immediately move up to one half your speed this might not you know sound a whole heck of a lot but um you know when you're as a noble you go through uh, a, a, a all the way up to charlatan you have the potential to be a a faint machine yeah you know so uh, extra any extra benefit there uh, to your fainting ability is never a bad thing, and uh, it's a uh, it's a prerequisite actually to the next two that we're going to get to. I think that's where it, where it really lies. I don't know. This talent's like it's it's moderately useful. It's it's not. It's kind of I don't know. Oh, okay. Eh. Um, it, it is worth noting that this movement still would provoke attack opportunities as appropriate. So, you know, right. Maybe maybe not, but. I think the next two talents are where the real, real coolness is. TG, why don't you hit us up with, with uh, the next one, which, of course, Cunning Distraction is the prerequisite for. Yeah, which I don't know how well it fits with this, but eh. So da it's still a cool talent. Damaging Deception is what this one is. And your party will absolutely love you. They're going to love you already if you've got noble levels in you, but this is just stupid awesome as a standard action standard action you make a deception check versus the will defense of a target in line of sight now if you've made them a mark you can re-roll that deception check mm -hmm. so it, you roll it against the will defense of a target in line of sight that can see hear and understand you so if you're a wookie and someone <laughs> doesn't speak wookie <laughs> This wouldn't work so much. Wookie nobles, though, aren't exactly... Uh... Yeah, you don't get that many. <laughs> yeah, so if you have a success, and then success means that the next attack made against that target by one of your allies deals an extra two, read them, two dice of damage. That's insane. Holy crap. Just saying. Oh. You per you dissuade you deceive them and then uh, 
great saber yielding Wookiee goes up and deals instead four d ten. That's or five. Yeah, it, that's it's really good. The big thing for me is that this works against any target in line of sight, not within twelve squares, not within six squares. Any target you can see that also can like speak your language and understand you. You distract them enough. You you deceive them enough to allow your ally to get in an awesome hit. That's like, oh no no, we're not trying to shoot at you. We've got these big guns pointed at something behind you. Look, it's a uh, uh, it's a reek behind you. Uh, uh, There's uh, a giant uh, elephant. What's an elephant? Oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nasty. We're trying to shoot it. Don't worry about these guns. Okay, now why don't you think this fits in with the with the charlatan? I think this is great. You're lying. Oh, no no no. I think it's the. I think it fits in with the charlatan. I don't see how cunning distraction is like a building block for damaging deception. Well, cunning distraction. They don't to, seem to, Well, no, no, no. I, to, I think they are. To me, cunning distraction represents you honing your ability to deceive someone to to distract them even more. That basically, like with cunning distraction specifically, you distract them so much that you can actually draw their attention away from them enough to where you can actually move, okay? This just seems to, you know, okay, wow, and now I'm even better at drawing their attention. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know, that's kind of where I see it, but... Yep. I guess I see what you're saying. But still, this is an insane ability. Um, now, the, the third talent uh, that we're going to talk about, which is the, the next one that builds off of Cunning Distraction, and um, it's called Distracting Shout. And uh, uh, this is another stupid good party buff ability. Once an encounter, just once an encounter, in reaction to an ally getting attacked, you can make a deception check versus the will defense of the attacker. Success, and your ally uses your deception check in place of all three of their defense scores for the purposes of that attack. All right? Now, this is only usable once an encounter, sure, but if you do use this and the attack still beats your your deception check and hits the ally you were trying to protect it doesn't actually count as using the talent for this encounter so you can try it again and that's awesome but seriously how high guys is is the maxed out deception skill compared to your average defense i mean until you get to like to mid high levels you're i mean you're you're obviously gonna this is a way to massively boost someone's defense scores yeah well what level are you gonna be when you get this well, you can take it as early as, gosh, uh, 10th level. So you got to figure at 10th level, you're, you're going to have, even if you have a zero modifier in your charisma, if you're skill-focused and trained, you're going to have a plus 15 in your deception check. If you average 10, that's a 25 on your defenses. And, you know, at 10th at level, yeah, at 10th level, though, you're averaging, let's see, you got a, you got a 20, well, yeah, actually, that might average out fairly well, actually. If you, if you count class bonuses in. But, you know, if you have an insanely high charisma modifier, which I would sincerely hope a charlatan would, so you're looking at a plus 19 or a plus 18 or a plus 20 to your your deception check. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it, th- that close. can get pretty high. If you roll but it's, well. It, it's one of those things. If, if the attack's going to hit your friend anyway, why not give it a shot? You could roll really high. And, you know, hey, why, why not? I, I, th- I think it's a cool ability. Yeah. So, yeah. Why not? Why not? Well, moving on, um, th- those are kind of the three talents that really epitomize the whole like party buff slash enemy debuff uh, of the uh, of, of this talent tree. The next are very um, self savior oriented. 
<laughs> Dave, why don't you hit us up with the next one? All right, so innocuous is um, a save-my-own-ass ability. So as a swift action, <laughs> I make a deception check versus the will of a single enemy uh, within six squares uh, and in line of sight. And so if you succeed, he takes a minus five penalties on all attacks made against you until the start of your next turn. So this is a great debuff as well as, and, and it's a swift action too, you know? That's a, that's, that's so, a, wait, so this is, this only does a swift action to do? Yeah. So, I mean, that's awesome. So, so in, it, a, like in effect, this, this is like the inverse of defensive fighting. It's just against, against a single foe. Against a single foe though. Yeah. For a swift action. So that's Jesus. it. Easy as that. So, yeah. And, so, but you have to take it if you want improved soft cover, which is the next one. Now, I, I like this innocuous thing a lot because, I mean, if this is only a swift action, I can pretty much do it every round if I, you know, that swift action often gets wasted, and I can still move, and I can still attack, and I can still do basically de- debuff yeah. somebody. Yeah. So you can use it every single round? It's not just a once-and-encounter ability? Nope. No, it's just, all it does is cost you a swift action. You can only use it against one foe, and they got to be within six squares. That's not a whole lot, but... Use it against the boss every single time in a boss fight. If you're close to him, yeah. I mean, I've got a. I'm, I'm playing a Shortland right now in Brev's Kotor game, and this was the first talent I picked up. And it's one of those things I, I used it when somebody was going to come after me, basically. And you know, when they got close to me, it was like, ah, no, you don't want to hurt me, you know. And and, and you know, <laughs> in in essence, you know, it, it it actually saved my butt a couple times. Um, but I, I no, I think I think that's pretty cool. Um, but as as Dave said, it is of course a prerequisite for the next talent, TG, which is why don't you tell us about that? The improved soft cover. So when you're adjacent to another creature, a friend, or a foe, (laughs) friend might be maybe not the best thing in the world, you can spend a swift action to gain a plus two cover bonus to your reflex defense until your next turn or until you're no longer adjacent to another creature. So, hey, hey, I'm (laughs) shield. Hey, hey, yep. That's not bad. So it's basically as long as you're adjacent to something. You spend a swift action and just get a plus two to your reflex defense. It's sort of like the bodyguard um, talent for uh, Crime Lord, right? Oh, oh you, you, you think of a command like or command cover? Yeah. Um, uh, for uh, I think it's for an uh, officer has command cover, and uh, oh, I forget what bodyguard has. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, though that that's very cool. But the thing is, it does cost you a swift action though. So. I'd rather get the minus five to the person that's about to attack me than just get a plus two to. From like, everybody, everyone is going to attack you. It depends, I guess it depends on how many yeah. people are attacking you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, innocuous is also a prerequisite for for the last talent in this talent tree, which I think is to me is kind of the penultimate ability in this talent tree. It's called treacherous, and this this um, actually has a prerequisite to both innocuous and improved soft cover. And this is really the ultimate "I'm a bastard" ability in this talent tree. Whenever you're adjacent to a creature. And you are attacked by a target other than the target creature, other than the creature you're adjacent to. Um, you can move one square as a reaction, and the attack targets the adjacent creature instead of you. So nice. Basically, if I'm adjacent to something and I get attacked, I can go whoa, sidestep, and just attack the adjacent creature. Now, if that adjacent creature happens to be an enemy. That, of course, movement, that one square will provoke an attack of opportunity, but often that can be a lot better if, if uh, option, if, if perhaps it's a, a weak foe and I'm getting attacked by like a, a heavy repeating blaster or something really crazy like that. Um, I don't know. It's kind of like, like the soldier's bodyguard talent, just kind of in reverse. So instead of them taking the hit for you, you're shoving them in the way of the hit. Pretty much. 
Uh, now, what if it's an ally? You it, there? It, it says a creature. So if it's an ally, yet yeah, literally, this is like this, this is why I say it's the ultimate "I'm a bastard" ability. Because hey, I'm gonna sit next to you in the fight. All right, all right. Oh, they're shooting at me. Hey, and then I literally throw you in the way. <laughs> <laughs> they may not be your ally for very long. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but there's some there's some other interesting ways you can use this though, and we're gonna come to that here in a bit. So. I don't know. I, I like treacherous. I think it's. Um, I think it's very RPG. I, I think it's it's full of RPG goodness, but it's also very mechanically cool. So, I, I like how they're able to draw those two together. So, okay, we've examined the features of this class. Let's talk about how best to use them. Okay, pulling off the scheme, how to get there. So, okay, getting there. Um, you got seven levels. That's a lot before getting to Charlatan. We know at least one of them has to have a level in Noble. What about the rest? Okay, what feats and what talents are going to help you? Well, honestly, that's really going to depend on the build. But there is one thing, no matter what build you go with, that is a universal constraint that you must follow if you are going to be going into Charlatan. Dave, what is that universal constraint? Maximize deception. Boom. That's it, man. Be a Twi'lek. Oh, yeah, no, no joke. Be a Twi'lek. Uh, there, I think there's a reason the Twi'lek is pictured on page 30 uh, as the charlatan, because they can re all their deception checks. Something I know Ula absolutely loves. Yep. Oh, yes, she does. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, man. It's good. It, deception's your bread and butter. It powers half your abilities. Take skill-focused deception. That should be guaranteed. That's essential, um, as is anything you can do to boost it. So, there you go. Well, let's talk about some of the specific builds we can move into in this. These are just a few ideas, um, three in particular, um, that, that are, are, are pretty pretty good. And, and Dave, why don't, you, why don't you tell us about the, the very first build? All right, the con man. This is like basic for the charlatan, right? But you're a thief. Um, <laughs> but you're not trained in stealth. You use your powers for of uh, douchebaggery to take things from other people, <laughs> and you smile while you're doing it, and you're kissing babies, and you're taking lollipops. Your po- excuse me, <laughs> your powers of douchebaggery? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, um, the noble's uh, connections talent is uh, pretty good for this, and uh, after, but after, you know, you take a single level in noble for that, um, you meet your prereqs, then you go scoundrel, basically. Uh, you do take a hit to the base attack bonus, and that's terrible. But you know that's really not why you're going charlatan anyway. You should then um, take out of the smuggler talent tree uh, that's in the Force Unleashed. It lets you um, hide your swindled goods a little bit easier, faster, better, and um, let you sell your stuff a little bit easier. And then as you go into charlatan, take innocuous, improved soft cover, treachery. Boom, boom, boom. This would bringing out this build, the con man, the best. You can get out of sticky situations even when you fail to swindle somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that makes good sense. I, I, like, I like the con man a lot because it, I, I don't know, it, it's kind of like we set up the start of this discussion. It, it seems like this is the role of the scoundrel. Taking the noble in this route, I think, is 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 very cool way to go. But, um, dude, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the smuggler talent tree. I think I think that is an underutilized talent tree in the Force Unleashed, and um, it's usually best in, in like really role playing heavy games. And this is a real role playing heavy prestige class, in my opinion. Yep. So, cool. Well, TG, why don't you hit us up with the next build? I'm gonna hit you up with the bastard. Yo. <laughs> oh yeah. Rat, rat bastard. The bastard likes to jack people up because he's a bastard. 
He uses deception to do this. This type of charlatan is all about deception to put physical hurt on a foe. And it can be devastatingly effective. Mm. Your necessary level in Noble is best suited with the talent from the disgraced talent tree. Most likely castigate. <laughs> Which sounds very similar to castrate. <laughs> By the way, I just <laughs> want to throw that in. <laughs> Which will lower a foe's defense scores. Well, I would think so. <laughs> That's right. And yet again, go straight scoundrel and pick up dastardly strike. Sneak attack, sneak attack, and oh yeah, try sneak attack again. And uh, feats like quick draw, lightning draw, knife trick, which lets you bring your weapon to bear instantly and hurt flat-footed foes decisively. When in charlatan, you want to stick with the same self-preservation talents too and grab cunning distraction. The tactic here is to surround yourself with meat shields. Bam. Wade into combat next to your ally or three. Purchased <laughs> or swindle droids are perfect for this. And use treachery to keep the heat off until you can get within six squares of the foe. Use innocuous to keep him from hitting you and spend your standard feint, which if you made the foe your score to begin with, you can reroll. <laughs> the next round, draw fire on your flat-footed foe and drop him in one hit. Talk right. about min-max to the max. <laughs> now, well, the, now my bastard. question is, do you still get sex in advance if you've been castigated? <laughs> I, think you, I think you would need sex in advance to the castigation. Yes, would you be, would. Be, right, it okay. would be kind of required. Okay, yeah. so th- this, is, this is a complex build, TG. So what you're saying is like, it, to, to, to make sure I understand this correctly, you're... Mm-hmm. You're wading into close combat, obviously, I'm assuming for sneak attack range purposes. Right. Um, with, like, a bunch of droids or allies, you're letting them take the hits for you, and then you use your uber deception abilities to feint and then ensure you can get a, uh, all your sneak attack goodness in from the flat-footedness. At least three extra dice of sneak attack. Four, three. Yeah. yeah. Dude, that's... That's wickedly nasty. Yeah, what, a, what a bastard. Yeah, bastard. <laughs> well, the last build that we want to talk about um, is probably my most favorite build. I call it the Disgrace um, because I think it's a cool character concept. Uh, the Disgrace is anything but to his allies. Uh, but this represents the, the noble that's kind of cast out from proper society, the, the deposed heir, the rebel sympathizer. Um, uh This build is about doing really what the noble does best, which is aiding, um, aiding allies and debuffing foes. Like the the prior two builds, you have that scoundrel heavy focus, you know, noble and then scoundrel, scoundrel, scoundrel. Um, This one, you can go straight noble, man. Any talents from the lineage, the influence, or the disgraced talent trees will be prime. Um, I think I think lineage will give your party your, your resources if that's really what they're missing. Influence will make a a devastating persuader, which is I think a nice complement to the charlatan's deceiver. Um, deception abilities, but but take a take a long hard look, Gamer Nation, at the disgrace talent tree in Scum and Villainy. I think it fits this character concept nicely. Has a variety of really cool abilities that are definitely like the the junior set of the Charlatan's abilities: debuffs, buffs, self preservation abilities. Um, ensure though that as a noble, you do max out persuasion 
for this build as much as deception if possible. I mean, in, in deference to TG's earlier comment, you know, I, I think the two skills have very different uses depending on the situation. And as a GM, there are times when I will not allow a persuasion to accomplish anything, but if you want to lie, sure. And then there's times where you don't want to lie. It's going to do more damage than good. So, you know, there's that. Um, Moving into Charlatan, uh, I think the first half of the Trickery Talent Tree is what you're going to want to go for. Damaging Deception and Distraction Shout will, will add to that, that party aid role perfectly. Um, but guys, I think, I think the bottom line here is, is that, I mean, whether you're intrigued by being like a con man or, or a bastard or a disgrace or, or perhaps all three, um, most everyone has thought of the fun of, of playing such a character in the past. And I think the charlatan draws together a lot of elements to make a fun character, both mechanically to play, but also more importantly to role play. And I think the mechanics really support the role playing for this prestige class, and I really like that. So take a second look at the charlatan, guys. Not many people talk about it, and I think it's an yep. underappreciated prestige class. But when you're looking at it, just remember to keep a firm grip on your wallet. That's all I got to say. That's right. I'm skipping. Final thoughts on the charlatan, guys. What, what do you What do you guys think? TG, Dave. That's all I right. I think. Uh, I think uh, it doesn't matter whether you look at it or not, because frankly, the charlatan doesn't give a rat's ass. <laughs> bastard. What I think. He's a bastard. Nice. Oh, yeah. Yep. Boom. Ah, uh, sad panda music. Yep. Well, you know, thanks a lot to our sponsors, GoDaddy.com, Buy.com, ThinkGeek.com. You guys visit them for all your needs. Thank you to the new contributors. Um, and actually got, if I'm not mistaken, another one while we were on the show. So I will add Preacher23. Nice. Aaron Burton. Thank you very much. The show's for you. You guys stay in touch with us on the Lose the Line. There you go. 206 5872 L-U-S-A. Who's that? Boom. D20radio.com slash forum is where you can be heard. D20radio.com slash live is where you can hear us 24-7. <laughs> we will have a schedule up in a few weeks of kind of recurring when we're going to have uh, podcasts and like, you know, Order 66 will be on Wednesday night. You know, a stream of the previous week's show, you know, Game On will be on Thursday night, whatever. Um, I, w- I want to take the time, I want to thank the Gamer Nation, in particular the D20 Radio contributors. So many of you have agreed to be contributors and 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 continue to support this network. And Dave, I mean, what? We wouldn't be able to do the live no, we would not without that. We, we just couldn't afford it. Absolutely, um, we would not. And it, it, this this is awesome. This is this is. I know, I know we're still in beta right now, and we're still getting it up and running. But but th- this is it. This is direct result of of you guys and your support of this network. And damn, thank you. That's right. More <laughs> yes. to come. More damn, good stuff it. to come. So you guys, thank you very much. As we sign off again, as usual, Alex, Trevor, Fiddleback, all the guys that send in bits, Luke Lowbrow, Dan. Um, you know, without you guys, we wouldn't have as near as much fun as we have on the show. <laughs> Damn, Skippy. And I want to thank you guys again for sending in your questions. And please send them in. We want to hear what you want us to talk about. And we want to hear uh, your suggestions to, to make our show, our show, a good show. There so you are. thank you again to my co-hosts, GM Dave and TG. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And keep them dice rolling. And may they always be full of the force. D20 Radio, where gamers roll.
www.d20radio.com. This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. Just a bunch of geeks spinning the tunes wondering what would happen if Vader had to fight a gelatinous cube.